You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, welcome once again. How's everybody doing? Who's ready for Christmas? Who's got their gifts wrapped already? No, okay, no. Everybody's ready for Christmas, but no, no gifts wrapped. All right. That sounds good. Man, I, I do truly, truly love this church. Um, that word love is a very interesting word. I, I think we use it in all different shapes and sizes. I mean, I would say that I love Rocky Mountain Raspberry Ice Cream from Love Boat. So if you're ever down off McGregor near Love Boat and you want to surprise your pastor with a, with a quart of Rocky Mountain Raspberry, uh, I would love that. Um, <laughs> and I love my wife. Dare I put those equally even though I use the same word? I mean, if I had to make a choice to have one for the rest of my life, would I even dare consider picking ice cream over my bride? No, that's foolish, but yet I use the same word to describe the two of those things. And I think culturally, we've kind of really screwed up and messed up and distorted this word love. Because what we've done, the first thing is, is we've, we've called acceptance love. We said that to be accepting of something is to be loving, but that's not true. If my kids want to play in the street and there are cars coming, it's not love for me to just let them continue to be there with the threat of impending death. So, so acceptance is not merely love. And, and there are other ways that we, we try to wrap our minds around love. We, we distort love based off of selfishness and insecurities that we have. And we project that onto other people and then we say and define it as as love. In fact, there's a, a not a very well-known singer today. I, I think you would know her by her boyfriend. Um, he's, a, he's a famous uh, all-star tight end, Travis Kelsey. <laughs> and you know him, uh, he started dating this uh, kind of lesser singer, uh, I think her name is like Taylor Swift or something like that. <laughs> he made her famous. <laughs> she built her whole career on singing about love. But it's, it's not true love, it's a very distorted version of love. In fact, many of her songs are about this unhealthy, forbidden love, a self-serving love, a complicated love, this, this game. I mean, she even in one of her songs plays off the Romeo and Juliet story where, where there's secrecy and hiding and disobedience and they're trying to fulfill these feelings and passionate desires for love. And then our brains are filled by movies and media and the fakeness that we see on social media as we're scrolling in these perfect families with their Christmas holiday stuff, right? And then we think everything is just perfect and this is what love must look like. And it's not. Because you, you get married and then, then you realize that love isn't just this game. And, and if we, we think that when 
our, our marriages are not this passionate activity or exciting emotions and then we get disappointed? Why? Because we have this false sense of fabrication of what love is. And so I want to establish a baseline today of what is love. Like that famous song that we, some of us may know. What is love? Well, here's how I want to establish the foundation. And it's by scripture. And it says, God is love. We cannot define God by using our distorted version of love. Love must be defined by who God is because he is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God. Why? Because God is love. So if we're gonna start the conversation this third week of Advent uh, talking about love, we have to understand that we're filtering everything we're talking about today through the lens of that God is love. He defines love, his character, his nature, that he is love. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna dive in to three ways that these verses here about the story of the shepherds are saturated with love. Father, I lift up your word right now. It is yours. You have given this to us to illuminate in our hearts and minds who you are and what you have done for us. So Lord, I pray that all the distractions of the world, all the things that can continue to remove our minds and our hearts away from you, I pray that we would be able to fix and focus our hearts and minds on you right now. Now, if there's someone here today that feels unlovable, I pray that they would know they are seen and they are known and they are loved. If there's someone here today that thinks that they have screwed up too much to be loved by you, I pray right now that they would know that there's not a place they can go too far away from your love. And so, God, we thank you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we see that this story is saturated in love. So here's some three, three ways that I'm seeing in this as I'm reading through this passage. Verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in a field. I don't know if we really can wrap our minds around the significance of the fact that the people that God chose to reveal himself to we're shepherds. This is significant. This isn't something that as you're going through that you want to just skip over and get to the next part. The fact that they are shepherds is, is huge. See, God's love is not impacted by status or looks. Why shepherds? I mean, they're not influential. They're not smart. They're not super gifted. They were common and often, shepherds in that culture were outcasts. I mean, if you were going to pick an influencer to get out your message, say you're starting a business and you wanted like somebody to bring your message of good news to the world, you just created some kind of invention that's gonna change the world, you would pick somebody famous. 
you would probably go get yourself a politician, an athlete, some kind of social media influencer, someone that's pretty, someone that's smart, someone that has a big following. You wouldn't pick a shepherd in this day and age. So God, the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos, brings this message to people who are common and often outcast by society. God doesn't love you, God doesn't love me because we have a certain job, because we have a certain skin color, gender, economic status, a certain level of morality, or even a political affiliation. God's love incorporates all of those things. In fact, we are gonna see in a little bit that this good news of great joy is for all people. And so the significance of him coming to shepherds is to help us realize and understand it's not about their status or their looks. In fact, God loves you even when you feel unlovable. In our shame, in our mess, in our brokenness, God loves you. I love what Paul, the apostle, writes in Romans 5, 8, where he says, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, that's not, that's not a small thing, that's a big thing. While we were enemies of God, what does it say? Christ died for us. So it doesn't matter your status or your looks. You don't bring anything to the table. Merry Christmas. And the angels didn't ask the shepherds to shower. They didn't ask the shepherds to get their act together. Didn't ask them to get dressed pretty, right? Get in your best clothes. And he doesn't ask that of you either. I think often we think we have to like clean ourselves up before coming to God. All we have is our mess. All we have is our brokenness. That's all we're bringing to the table. And literally, the greatest announcement ever in history is given to common folk, just like you and just like me. God's love isn't impacted by status or looks. But then, then it goes on and we see that God's love is not earned or deserved. I mean, look at these two declarations that are made in verses 10 through 14 by these heavenly messengers. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Does anybody like when I go back to the Greek and the Hebrew of these passages? Yeah, so the word all there, write this down. It means all. We're, we're like, we don't have to like dance around this. It's not earned or deserved by these shepherds. The God of the heavens going to shepherds destroys every legalistic, moralistic expectation that we can have on anybody around us and even on ourselves. And it's good news of great joy. Notice how he doesn't say that this God of the cosmos, this, this heavenly being, this, this son of God that's going to be born is bringing a message of doom and gloom. Notice that? I mean, that's not, that's not what we're seeing here. I mean, often I think we can see God as this angry God 
who is playing this like cosmic game of whack-a-mole with us, right? You know, you know what that game is, whack-a-mole, right? It's this thing, it's like, it's a board and you have a mallet and then the mole pops his head up out of the hole and what are you supposed to do? Smack it. And we think that when we sin, now all of a sudden we got God's attention and it's his job to smack us back down into submission. That's not the message that these angels are bringing to us. It's good news of great joy for all the people. And then he goes on to say, for whom he is pleased. It's not because they earned his pleasure. This is a declaration, a statement of belonging. The message of good news of great joy for all people wasn't a message that was speaking to what the shepherds have done. It was speaking about whose they were, whose they were. They belonged to God. They belonged to a heavenly father. And so when he was looking at them, he was looking at them as his children, those who he deemed pleased. I, I had the privilege of coaching YMCA soccer, nine through 11 year olds, that's crazy. My two daughters, Selah and Everly played on the team and you know what, as their dad, it didn't matter if we won or lost. It didn't matter if we won or lost the championship. It didn't matter if they missed a kick or didn't miss a kick. They, were, they didn't lose being my daughter because they missed a, a, a shot. They didn't lose their, their being a part of our family because they didn't score a goal. Like My pleasure in them is the fact that, that God has given them to me as my daughters. I cherish them and love them in spite of them missing a goal or missing a shot. That's, and that's in my imperfection as a father. But, but the heavenly father, he's not looking down trying to see if you're earning his favor, seeing if you're like kind of above the 51 percentile and then, okay, now I'm pleased with you. His pleasure is in the fact that he has adopted you as his children. It's his declaration of pleasure, not your definition of pleasure. And so what we're seeing here is that the shepherds didn't have to go through some sort of assimilation process or attend a, a membership class or, or do something like, I mean, these were uneducated folk. They were already in their family trade. They would have been in school and they would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. And if they didn't do that, they would have just went into their family trade pretty early on in life. I mean, they wouldn't have done high school like we have it today. I mean, they were young and they, they go into their family trade and they just do that for the rest of their life. No one asked them the question, do you like your job? <laughs> they did it because that's how they made a living and that's how they supported their family. They weren't exemplary citizens, but God declared them seen. He declared them known and he declared them loved. So God wasn't pleased with the shepherds because they were super spiritual. He declared them as pleasing because they were his children whom he loved. So God's love is not impacted by status or looks and God's love is not earned or deserved. And here's the last thing that I want us to see here in verse 11. God's love frees us from sin. Now, how do we get there? Well, look at what verse 11 says. Who's coming? Look at verse 11. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A savior. Does, does he say unto you was born this day a helper? A co-pilot? I hate that bumper sticker. Does he say a genie that you could just go to and have a wish list like uh, you do with Santa Claus and write down a bunch of stuff that you want to, to accomplish in your life? No, a savior. Well, just hearing that a savior is coming has a lot of implications that we can skip over. The good news of great joy for all people, why would this be a, a savior? Well, well, here's the assumed reason. Because all people need to be saved. I know that that sounds super elementary, but I think we can pass over that very often. And I think culturally our, our world is telling us that all we have to do is be good people. And so for, for our world, it's just all about morality. And so if you could just be above the 51%, then you're good. Just be a nice person, be good, be tolerable around, be, to be around during the holidays. Don't bring up politics at the dinner table. Right, that, I mean, that becomes the measure that we have, but, but to be people who are enemies of God, people who need saving, I mean, that's a lot to admit for us. To admit we need help. Men, I don't know about you, but I struggle with asking for help. And, and sometimes it could feel like we're less manly if we ask for help, which makes no sense at all. Because when you surround yourself with the right people, like you can accomplish great things. But we have it in our minds, moms, wives, daughters, sons, that like we just need to do it on our own and we don't need any help. And that translates over to our faith. We think that we don't need a savior. How many of you have been freaking out trying to figure out how I'm gonna use this? What is this? A life preserver or a lifesaver, right? That's, that's what this is. Now, I bring it into an environment like this and I, I look out into the crowd, right? And I try to throw this out and I give it to John. What does that do for him? Nothing. <laughs> He's not drowning, right? He just became part of the story. If we don't understand and believe we're drowning, then we don't think we need to be saved. And that's what we do in this world is we try to earn it ourselves. We try to get our act together and then therefore removing the need for a savior. We think all of a sudden, I'm good. Like, I, I know you're out there, God. I know you died on the cross. Thanks for that, but I've got this. And that's not what we see in this story. This good news of great joy is the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are at the bottom of the water, wherever that may be, drowning, and God saves us. That's the beauty of this season, but it's more than just the season. This is the beauty of life. The beauty of life is more than just a Christmas holiday season. The beauty of life is the fact that God has come to accomplish what you and I could never do. He left eternity, 
a place where he was worshiped day and night on a throne to be born in a stable, to be born and placed in a manger where they feed animals, to grow up to be ridiculed and mocked and beaten and hung on a cross murdered so that you and I may have life. We have to understand and get it in our minds that we need to be saved. We have to know that we can't do it on our own. This is good news of great joy for all the people. And we're not just freed from something, freed from our sin, but we're also freed to something. It's kind of like a prisoner, a slave that has been released. They're freed from the bondage, they're free from the captivity, but then they're free to do something. They're free to live as people who are free. We are free from the bondage of sin, which leads to death and destruction, but now we are free to love God and love others and make disciples. This is a complete and ongoing process that we sit in right now. His work in your life because of what he did on the cross is finished. He didn't say to be continued. However, we are in the process of becoming more and more like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what sanctification is. And so Hebrews 10, 14 says this, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we don't have to wonder in our screw-ups and our mess-ups, am I really saved? We can trust on the fact that his blood covers us one and done for all time. But now that sin is to be transformed by the renewal of our minds and that sin is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit so we become more like Christ in our lives, sanctified. So his work is finished. God loves, God's love frees us from our sin. So these shepherds received this good news of great joy. And then how did they respond? Where does this overwhelming sense of love, God's love, lead them to? Well, here's the first thing. God's love leads us to worship God. His love is the foundation of a life of worship. I mean, there's something different about people who have seen and know Jesus. I mean, too often do I come across grumpy, uh, stone-faced, Scrooge-like Christians. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We're not living in the freedom that God has given us. We are living in the bondage that the world has placed us in. But God has freed us from all that. Yes, life is hard. Our circumstances are hard. I'm not belittling that. But we have a greater hope that we look forward to in anticipation. That should overwhelm us in joy. I mean, look at verse 20. These shepherds aren't going back from seeing the Savior of the world. They're not going back to a mansion. They're not going back to a Ferrari. Or at the time, they would have, what, bumped up from a donkey to a steed? I don't know. Right? I mean, it's not like they're going back into a better circumstance. Can we wrap our minds around this? I think often we think we come into a relationship with God and then our circumstances have to change. Like, like now we need to get like the nice house and the nice car and all that stuff. Again, God is not a genie in a bottle. The shepherds see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They sit and they worship him and then they go on their way worshiping back to the circumstances that they came from. 
but with a renewed sense of life, with a, with a hope that was beyond their circumstances. And so, God's love leads us to worship him. That's why when we start singing music in a gathered worship space, like it may not feel completely comfortable to raise our hands or to sing out loud, but God didn't leave eternity to be born a baby to die on a cross so that you and I would be comfortable. I'm sorry, but I think that we are far too easily pleased with our own comfort. And if, if, if you're one of those people that love to be expressive in your worship, I invite you to the front four rows, please. Please stop sitting in the back. Come forward because we need you. Why? Because when Miguel's up here leading us in worship, now, now everybody worships differently, so I'm not saying we all have to conform to a certain style. Like, I'm not going to cry every time I sing. Like, that's not me. But there's got to be an expression of joy and hope and a declaration of enjoyment. Because if we're sitting here going, the whole time, like, then we're not declaring what the Bible says, because the Bible tells us to sing. The Bible tells us to clap our hands. The Bible tells us to raise our voices and stand and praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you don't like doing it here, guess what you're doing for all of eternity? You think you're going to be walking around heaven like this all day? No, you're going to be singing and dancing. I know some of you are Baptists, but hey, it's happening. I'm a Baptist preacher. Calm down. God didn't call us to be comfortable. And the people that we see in Scripture, they're sinners, they're failures, but they're never inactive. I don't think that the elders of the church and the early church had to convince people to live, give, and serve. It was just what they did out of an overflow of worship for God because they weren't inactive. I mean, when we talk about living in community, like that wasn't something like, like an elder didn't get up to talk about the scriptures and talk about the coming savior and the savior that has died for them and be like, now live in biblical community. No, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to God's word, breaking of bread, daily fellowship and prayer. They did this stuff with their lives because it was their life. Like, you didn't have to convince you to get into biblical community. People were in it because that was the only way that they knew to be in relationship with God's family. You're in relationship with God, you're in relationship with God's family. Tithing, like, I don't think that the elders would have gotten up and had to break down the Greek and try to convince people to give their first fruits to the Lord. I don't think they would have went through and been like, well, that word actually doesn't mean that word. No, it, they just knew they gave their best and their first to God. And that word tithe means 10%. And they weren't debating that. They were doing it as an act of worship to the Lord. And in fact, there's, there's a lot of talk in Scripture about our finances and how it grips our hearts. And so we hoard and we hold. But for them back then, it actually would have been more like 23.3% that they would have given to the Lord over the course of a year. And we can talk about that as much as we want. But the Lord calls us, and, and Jesus doesn't discount this in the New Testament. I think often we can look at the New Testament and be like, well, that's all, you know, that's all old covenant. This is not new covenant. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So he's, he's, he's speaking against the, 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 the Pharisees at that point because they're being hypocrites. 
And he says, for you tithe, that you give of a tenth of your mint, your dill, and your cumin. So above just the finances, they were giving all of their crops, all of their, all of their resources, everything that was coming in, they were giving God their first fruits. He said, but, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But look at what he says. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. So he's speaking to the, the, the tithe of the mint and the dill and the cumin. He's saying, you should have done that. That's what we do as an act of worship to the Lord, but then you neglected other things. And he was trying to help them understand the well-rounded nature of our hearts and giving out of gratitude. Listen, my story is not a story of I've always been generous. I actually have always been a hoarder. You can ask my wife. I came into our marriage, this was a struggle for me. I never felt comfortable giving anything to the church. And then right out of college, I started working at a church and I still wasn't comfortable about it. And it wasn't until I married this woman right here. And when we'd, we'd be in church and we'd, we'd sit there and then they'd talk about you know, a backpack drive or this or that, she never came up to me and asked if we were giving. She was like, how much are we giving? I'm like, oh, like calm down woman. Like, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with you and my credit card. But it wasn't because she was spending it at the store or going shopping. She wanted to give it to the Lord's work. And that had stirred in my heart these affections that I never knew I had before. That's what stirred us to start FMCC and, and have a job outside of the church to pay for our livelihood so we can serve the church family without taking a salary from the church. Why? Not because we're good people, because we wanted to give unto the Lord everything that we could out of joy and out of worship and out of reverence. And it's not something that comes naturally to us. But God's love leads us to worship God. These shepherds weren't going back to different circumstances. These shepherds saw the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they went back worshiping their Savior serving the body and the community. This is just who they were. It defined them. And the gospel spread because of how they loved one another. I just think about what it's like to walk into church on Sunday. I, I, walk, I don't know if you noticed, I walk in and out often on a Sunday morning. And every time there's a new set of people that are shaking my hand, greeting me, hugging me, smiling. That's not just because I stand up here, it's because of the people that are here. That invites people into relationship with the Lord. People are so fearful coming into a place like this not knowing anybody. They're so fearful of, of the church burning down because of their sins. And to be embraced and to be known and to be seen and to be loved is what God calls us to. To share the good news of Jesus. The people weren't thinking about, the shepherds weren't thinking about, I don't, what are people gonna think about us? They're gonna think I'm crazy now talking about a baby king? No, they went on sharing the good news of the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so our God's love leads us to worship God, but then our love encourages others to worship God. Look at verses 17 through 19. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds have told them. This wondered is an awe. This wondered is an act of worship. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. That idea of treasuring up in her heart, guess what? That's worship. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard and had been told to them. Love, God's love, 
is contagious. God's wired people, God has wired people to transmit information. Like that's, like he's allowed us to communicate very differently than animals. He's, he's wired us to communicate something. And often, we spend a lot more time uh, transferring useless information than we do information that will bring life to people. I know I'm guilty of this too. Often I'm way too quick to send a meme or a funny video to somebody than I would share what God's teaching me or a verse of encouragement or prayer for somebody. We gotta not only balance those scales, we gotta like completely flip the scales on the information that we're transmitting. We talk way more about politics and our economy and everything else about the weather and we don't talk enough about the savior of the world who has come to bring life and life to the full with those around us. He calls us to share the gospel. We have the words of life and we can speak life and light into people. John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 13, eight through 10, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, in case you didn't get it in those four, all of them, they're summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the fulfilling of the law. God invites us to love one another, to bring his good news. That's why marriage is so important because the world may see the good news of Jesus because of how we love one another. That's why parenting is so important because God, the world will see how much God loves them by how we parent our kids, how we interact with our neighbors, how we interact at our jobs, how we interact at the gym. People may see God's love by how we love one another. So I'm gonna invite Miguel to come back on up and I wanna invite us if you're, no, not if you're comfortable. I'm just gonna invite you to do this. Into a time of prayer. Prayer is a wonderful way that we can engage with our, our God, our Father. And this is what I wanna invite you to do in this time of prayer. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit who is living and active would speak to your heart and your mind three people's names. I wanna be specific here. Three people's names. Now, sometimes those three names could be very familiar ones that you're just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's why God would bring that person in my mind. Other times, someone's name's gonna pop into your mind that you're like, whoa, that's, that's a case of dynamite waiting to blow up. I want you to trust the spirit here. I want you to pray that God would bring to mind three names that you would share the good news of great joy for all people this season. That you would take time to maybe share your testimony, that you would take time to share with them that God loves them and wants a relationship with them. And I know often we're scared of this kind of thing because we're afraid of how they're going to respond. They're going to be like, well, you're not a great person. Nobody in this room is a great person. And so if the, if the thought in your mind is that you're going to say, hey, God loves you and wants a relationship with you, they're going to be like, yeah, but 
you're a terrible person. You could be like, yes, I am, and that's why I need a savior. If you need a, tr a, a trademark response, yes, I am, I'm a sinner, and that's why I need a savior. Maybe it's just saying, I believe that God wanted me to let you know that God loves you. Maybe it's just as simple as that. Maybe it's a text, maybe it's a, a letter, a note, a card. Maybe it's something you haven't talked to in a long time. So go to the store, buy a card, find out their address, send them an email. But I wanna encourage you to reach out in this season and to share love with the world around you. Can we do that? Can we do that together? I know that's uncomfortable. I know that maybe that's not something you wanna do and some of the names that God's gonna to bring to mind are not gonna be people that you've talked to in a while. I wanna encourage you, trust the spirit and what God wants to do. Let's pray. Father, I know and I understand that a request like that can put us in an uneasy place. It's very easy to love those that are lovable, but it's not easy, Lord, to love those that have hurt us, that have done something wrong to us. And so, Lord, right now, I pray that you would press in on our hearts, people, Lord, that need to hear that they are known, that they are seen, and that they are loved. If it's people that we've hurt, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to ask for and seek for forgiveness. If it's for people that have hurt us, I pray that we would be able to extend forgiveness. Bitterness eats away at the core of our hearts. So I pray that we would be able to release that to you in this time. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that your love is not something that we can earn or deserve. It's not about our looks or our status, but that your love has freed us, freed us from the bondage of our sin. And since you have given us life in Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would help us extend that life in worship to the world around us. At this time, um, you can keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Is there anybody that is a little anxious or worried about some of the people, some of the people that God is bringing to your mind? Would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray specifically over these people right now that um, already their hearts are pounding, maybe their palms are sweating, and they're starting to already get nervous. But I pray, Lord, that you, you say in your word that if we pray, that you would give us a peace that transcends our understanding. You give us a peace that is far above the understanding that we have. And so I pray right now, Lord, that you would fill them and flood them with peace. Lord, I, I ask right now that you would pre-prepare the hearts of those that you're placing on our hearts to go share good news with. That we wouldn't be fearful of being rejected, but that we would know that we have the words of life and that we can go and share this good news. That we don't have to have all the answers, that we don't have to to have all of the defense, all we can share, Lord, is that we have been saved by grace through faith because of your great love. 
God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him so that we may know your love. I pray that we can extend that to others. We lift this up in your name. Amen.